You are listening to an MLGA Network podcast. The only people for me are the mad ones. The world is filled with the boring and the barely conscious. Misery loves company. But we don't have to live this way. Jessica and I are here to talk to those the system rejects, to radicals and thought criminals. The ones who never yawn or say a commonplace thing but push the boundaries of acceptable discourse. Those who stare reality in the face and dare it to be different. History isn't made by the timid, and fun is not had by the perpetually afraid. We are the mad ones. So let's get to it. Welcome to the mad ones. I'm your, I'm a grown-ass man who had swimmer's ear in both ears for two weeks, and now I'm finishing up a round of antibiotics and feel much better host, Cam Harless. And with me, as always, is your just started her own ear infection today, hostess, Miss Jessica Green. Yeah. How are you doing? Well, to be fair, it's I'm I'm shitty. Thanks for asking. Um, <laughs> to be fair, it's an old ear infection. I had it a couple of weeks ago, and the doctor um, he told me I had an ear infection, and I said, "What are you talking about? I'm almost 40. He goes, "Yeah, you still have ears." I'm like, that's a good point. That's a good one, Doc. <laughs> Well, what I was, thought was cool was in our last episode with Kim, you talked about your story about the beef jerky with Righteous Felon. And yeah. uh, they liked it so much that they they sent us a box, both of us, a box of Christ beef jerky, beef jerky. And gave us a promo code to give people yep. so they can get 10% off. If they go to RighteousFelon.com, they can get 10% off their entire order for the whole website. Um Mad ones is the uh, thing, but I thought it would be funny because they I got uh, the voodoo chili. My wife mm-hmm. said voodoo child. I don't know. It's if voodoo child. Yeah, is she's it? right. I don't, I don't understand that. So it lost on me. It's, it's like from Louisiana. I don't know. Okay, I don't know. She's it's, right though. It's spelled the same thing as Chile, the country. It's child. But this one, this <laughs> one has Carolina Reaper in it, and I thought it would be really funny because I'm apparently masochist to get the Carolina Reaper beef jerky and uh, <laughs> eat it at the beginning of the show. And you can watch uh, if I die. Um, oh. Sound good? Yeah, that sounds great. Awesome. I'm not going to help you in any well, way. Well, <laughs> I don't think you could. I'm but... not going to be able to help you in any way. Not that I wouldn't <laughs> help you. <laughs> <laughs> but before I do that, I did want to introduce our guest. It's a returning guest, one of our favorites. Um, Joining us tonight is one of our, as I just said, favorite returning guests, a personal friend and a friend of the show, a musician, a dirty leftoid, a podcast host, a father, a colonizer, a punk, and the perfect mixture of toxic masculinity and toxic femininity. And that is both terrifying and exhilarating. Mr. Nick Pacone of The Misfit Family. How you doing, Nick? Hello. So in perfect Nick Pacone fashion, I have to start the show out by correcting some things. Uh oh. Um, so, Voodoo Child is actually a reference to a song by Jimi Hendrix. By Jimi Hendrix, and, okay. and possibly if you're from Texas, Stevie Ray Vaughan. Stevie okay. Ray Vaughan's version actually might be more famous at this point in time. Well, the the cow looks like Jimi Hendrix, so that that was my okay. Good. That was my so- my guess. All of the characters on the Righteous Felon beef jerkies are people based off of people who have like been famous prisoners. So this one, it's a dill flavored one. It's Nelson Mandela. And so it makes sense that it would be like a 
Jimi Hendrix thing. So we've got one child molester, two child molesters. <laughs> what, I mean, what, are the, what are the other bags? Just, the, um, let's see. Uh, Marilyn, Marilyn Monroe. Ancho Vila. I don't have the whole box hot shit. on me. This hot shit right now. Let's see if I die. I want to see if you cry at the very least. I hope so. If it doesn't cause you a little bit of pain, I'm going to be disappointed. Not okay. because I want you to be in pain, but it's a Carolina Reaper. Like it should cause you a little bit of pain. Okay, so I shouldn't. This is how you talk with my mouthful. I'll tell that in a second. This is how you get closer. This is how you ascend. <laughs> it's going to be great for our audio listeners. <laughs> I'm sure. Well, that's why I was doing the nine inch nails thing for them. Get closer. I was How just going to say, one time, I'm doing fine so far. I'm okay. chewing it for a while because of the how beef jerky works. But uh, one time I went to Buffalo Wild Wings and I got their ghost pepper wings, which came with gloves so that Ooh. you could pick them up and eat them. Okay. Let me tell you, the, the pain that comes from eating super spicy foods up to that point is like threefold. You have the initial pain, which is in your mouth, and then you have the stomach, the sour stomach, for a day or two, okay. accompanied with the exit, because the <laughs> cap capsation, I'm not sure how to say that word. Cap 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 I don't capsaicin. 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 It doesn't fully digest, and so it hits Oof. your ring of fire on the way out. The second and harvest. This is pretty hot. That's pretty good. <laughs> he's getting sweaty i i sure am so Cam yeah. camis go ahead speaking of um corrections this is kind of what this episode is about not that ali did a, a bad job talking about postmodernism but you we studied it we learned some stuff from her but you were like i have studied this there are some things I want to explain to help you understand it better. I wish it wasn't like six months ago. I can remember all, all the things I was thinking about at the exact moment. It was um, like a month ago. <laughs> was it, it's been a long yeah. month for me, let me tell you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, if I remember correctly, like I think I also said that she's the, the closest I've heard anybody get to actually explaining what it is correctly. Okay. Which I was excited about. I don't know how okay. she, um, because you and me were kind of, I was giving you the Cliff Notes version of it when we were actually, when I was, while I was listening, because I was at work listening. Mm -hmm. I'm going, hey, Cam, so this is what she's saying, but this is probably more accurately what it means. <laughs> uh, so I guess my, the way I come at this is uh, I studied phenomenology. In, co in college. And uh, phenomenology, I guess, is technically different than postmodernism. I've had people try and tell me. I mean, you're still reading Derrida and Jean-Paul Sartre and all of the same people that make up the stuff. But I, I, don't know, I don't know why it's different. But for me, the whole core of postmodernism, uh, it centers around what it actually says and the way people take it to mean. And you have people like Thaddeus Russell, I think who 
take it to me. They take it to an ought place when there it's just an, it's an is place. Um, so the idea and phenomenology, which is then taken place, this is like the basis of all of the modern, uh, the idea behind all of the grievance studies things is that okay. you can, you can never subtract yourself from the, uh, from your perception of the world. Because the whole thing is based on perception. Now, if you can never ex extract yourself from the perception of the world, the world is always the world as you make it because you're actively creating the world as yourself. Um, now, postmodernists will take the thing, well, if we're all, if we can never subtract ourselves from it, then we can never see the world as it actually is, which okay. means that there is no world other than the one that I can see. Now, this is great if you want to go and break everything up and be like, oh, yeah, so now if the only world is the world that I can see and you have to respect the world that I see, then, then yeah, kumbaya. Um, the problem is is that that's, that's jumping. It's jumping the shark, so to speak, um, because the world isn't necessarily – just because you can't see the world as it is doesn't mean it isn't there. there just try and believe that there is no truth in – is is jumping over a whole bunch of hurdles because whether or not you can see something is kind of irrelevant to his, its existence. Mm -hmm. Um, I, and you can't, you have to go get on the paywall. Michael Malice brutally slapped the, sh slapped the shit out of Thaddeus and one of his episodes about this. And I love it. Um, nice. you have to, you have to go get in the, uh, your welcome, like backlogs to get to see it. But his point was, it was, it's the same thing. It's like that just because you don't see, all the forces controlling the world. And even if you could, like you can't subtract yourself from that seeing of them. Doesn't mean they're not there. It okay. just means you can't so, see them. <laughs> can I, can I, can I back this up a little bit? Just Go because I'm it. not, I'm not a philosophy student by any stretch of the imagination. I'm coming to this from a really simplistic standpoint. I learned about postmodernism, the word itself from Jordan Peterson. I started watching Jordan Peterson's videos probably about a year or two ago. I heard Jordan Peterson talk about postmodernism, and when he talks about it, he means basically people who don't believe that there is any kind of objective truth. And um, another, so that's sort of the perception that I've had of people in the post. In po I haven't read Derrida, I haven't read Satra or anything like that. <laughs> I've just known it as people who uh, have no belief that there is an objective truth, which doesn't necessarily make sense to me because of things like you know. We, we have a, uh, you know, there, there's a number for gravity, for example. Gravity has a certain rate to it. We know what that rate is. So obviously there are objective truths. Well, uh, I would actually say, you're, isn't your husband a physicist? He is. So uh, yeah. I'm sure if you were to talk to him, he would say, well, it doesn't never quite actually line up perfect. It gets close. And then you can modify the equation based on like some other subtle thing that interacts on the thing. That's why I love getting into the philosophy versus religion debate sure. with people because they're both doing the same thing. They're both ways to explain and order the world around you in different ways. But that's sure. not, that wasn't my but point. But we have a, we have technology that operates on this evidence for these scientific concepts. So it's not as though they don't hold true. Oh, I mean, and I'm sure you could go and find God's evidence that he's left for plenty of things in reality. 
All right, but anyways, so, back to back to the whole postmodernism thing. Okay, right, right. So, so I'm, all I'm asking, I guess, is like maybe you can sort of, for someone that's as dumb as me, uh, define uh, simplistically what postmodernism means. Oh, so what you have is you have a bunch of people that are taking this concept and stretching it beyond what it actually says. Okay. The, that's the, the, that's the what I was getting at earlier. Is that, so in the core of like phenomenological studies is this idea that you can never subtract the eye from the world around you. you can't you can't see the world without yourself in it. Okay. Like you can't like you're always looking through your eyes. So everything you have is based on all the knowledge that you have and not all the knowledge that everybody has. You it, it's it's you can get a really complicated like study ideas and that like especially like we, you get into like um each of consent and stuff like that. And it's like, well, stretch this out past a, a world where you're used to it. Clearly age of consent was different a hundred years ago than it is now. And those people seemed fine with it. We don't because we grow up in the world that we grow up in. And, and to do anything to change it, you literally have to take away all culture and everything around us to get to nothingness. And can you ever get to nothingness? No, because at the end of the day, there's still just you and what you're perceiving. Now, the problem is with postmodernists, what they actually do is they take this, well, because I'm always here, I can never see the truth. And since we all can never subtract ourselves from what we're seeing, there is no truth because none of us would ever – we could never reach a consensus on anything okay. because we all never see the – we could never actually see what would be true if it was there. Now, that seems like one hell of a claim to make from mm – -hmm. I can never f from I can never see something to it, it just doesn't exist. And that is what okay. the whole postmodern thing is doing is taking this per a perceptive idea and like stretching it way, 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 way beyond what it means. Maybe. OK, so I, the question maybe needs to go a little further back than that for me. Mm -hmm. How can something if we are always constantly sort of modern we're modern to ourselves in the moment we're we're the modern age to ourselves what what makes the philosophy postmodern how are you ever getting post of what you are well so you're 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 thinking of modern as a term and not as modern as a particular philosophical way of thinking okay um, so it was, it was a specific school of thought that was okay. called modern modern philosophy. Like you have ancient philosophy, modern philosophy, and then you go to postmodern philosophy. Okay. Um, postmodern. Um, the people that the reason it's postmodern is because they started kind of picking at the things that everybody else took for granted. Um, okay. Now, th that's like well, the thing that I personally love, and it's why when Thaddeus is right, he's one hundred percent right when he says that every libertarian out there should love the whole the idea of postmodernism because the idea is you you don't take for granted anything you don't take as given what uh, authority like you, you authority is something that you kind of have to define for yourself and allow people to be authority over you they don't just get it you have to earn it okay. um, to get into like the specifics of the history that would be getting outside of like my my depth and scope of knowledge because like primarily the stuff that i was really interested in, in uh philosophy was ethical theories and how I stumbled across the whole <laughs> phenomenology thing was like, this sounds like a really cool Pink Floyd-y kind of philosophy class. It was the hardest philosophy class I ever took in my life, by the way. Um, okay. So in our episode with Allie, kind of the, the main thing that I took away from it 
was that it's essentially postmodernism is an epistemology. It's a question of how do we know? And mm -hmm, yeah. uh, I remember you kind of went through the self and put, trying to take that out of the equation or you can't take yourself out of the equation. Um, and that everything's kind of built on agreements between people. Um, but that was, I think what, what your problem was, if I'm remembering correctly, was that it kind of jumped into the, um, the conversation of ought kind of like when I talked about egoism and a, a, a touch is the idea that this is what ought ought to happen. And I think that's what you were kind of wanting well, to so about, if I remember correctly. The thing that the thing that the postmodernists will talk about have is truth claims. And how do you make a truth claim about anything that you can't objectively see yourself? And if I make a truth claim based on what I perceive versus you make a truth claim on what you perceive, well, they're gonna be at odds by by nature of just we don't see the same things. And so if that's the case, then there is nothing there is no truth between us that we could ever reach consensus on. And that to me is like, well, but there's certain aspects and certain parts that we're all going to kind of see, even despite being here. And maybe if you don't see it exactly the way I do, but these other 300,000 people do, well, I'm sorry, your perception is probably not, is even less seeing something more or seeing something correctly than we are. It's the idea of, uh, if you start like perception is so weird because if you start like even at the basis of it, the idea that we can talk is the biggest miracle that's ever happened. Like if mm -hmm. I see the word dog, all three of us can picture basic idea of a dog, wishbone. Well, that's not at all what I was thinking of because <laughs> I was I was thinking of a Rottweiler. What were you thinking of, Jen? Jess? <laughs> it's okay. Um, my name was supposed to be Jennifer, and everybody <laughs> calls me Jen. It's really weird. Um, I actually imagined my dog, who's a black pit bull. Exactly. So how the fuck do we ever reach consensus in what we're talking about? How does any meaning transfer between us when we can't even see the same thing? But somehow, we all knew what the word dog meant, despite having completely different ideas of what dogs are. Okay. We you see, but no, no, still, but by the way, we that, still uh, imagined something that was a, a basically the same species. We well, saw well, absolutely four legs with a tail, with a you know a waggly tail. We we all kind of know what a dog and is. How, so even if we imagine something slightly different from each other, we did imagine the same thing in essence. Was, and, and how simple was the concept I gave you? I gave you dog. Right. Now let's take something and say courage. Okay. The cowardly what dog. does the word courage mean? The, the cowardly <laughs> dog. That's yeah. actually funny. But yeah. we'll, we'll take an abstract thought, and what does courage mean between the three of us? I mean, I um, suppose that is a little harder to define <laughs> in such a way that everyone agrees on what courage is. But, but, but guess what? We all kind of do. We all come up with different ways we define it. Uh, so it's, it's, it, there's a sense-making thing that we all do naturally anyways. And these people just kind of want to say, yeah, but that's unimportant because this is the way I see it. That's just the way it is. I'm going to look mm -hmm. for, stay in the world that I live in and you can stay in the world you live in and pretend that we don't ever have to cross paths. And that's stupid. <laughs> like That's why like anyone who's ever talked with that about this, it's like, well, I act as if there's gravity because it seems to fucking be gravity. Like The plane's not going to fall out of the sky because whether or not I can see the gravity for all of human history, it's... And guess what? I guess it could change, but... To pretend well, that's what that I'm that's talking. like some great thing is just, is just stupid. <laughs> well, 
Well, that's what I'm talking about as far as gra- when I, the reason I mentioned gravity when I bring up postmodernism is because the planes do stay in the air. We all know that if we leave our house by our second floor window, we're going to fall to the earth and break our leg. That's why we leave by the front door instead of the second floor window. We can't just postmodernly decide that we can leave out our window and then walk through the air as far well, as and, I know. Well, and that's my point. Like the people that are, we guess would call themselves postmodernists, they're taking what was a really good idea which is a good like people don't understand like they, they get this sense of like oh well once an idea has happened we have to see everything from our perspective in regards to the idea well once you imagine like let's see this most of these books are written in like the 30s or 40s and mm-hmm. imagine the first person who says well hey guys you know we're all trying to talk about this topic and we all keep kind of reading a dead end do you think part of that is just because we all carry our own biases and our own history to the table that we, we have difficulty seeing the same thing? So now to really, truly get to a center and to really get to a truth, we have to now realize that we could never actually see it, but we can kind of reach a consensus on what it might be. Like what a, what a big idea that is to just say, hey, this is this is something that maybe isn't actually visible and maybe that's something we have to learn to grapple with from yeah. a philosophical standpoint. That's a huge thing. Like we're all assuming for the entirety of human history that no, no, we, there's some type of truth that we'll objectively be able to see. Would you say that postmodern, because a, a lot of times when people hear the word philosophy, um, they're not thinking about epistemology, which is the ability to know. They're not thinking about these things. They're thinking about a kind of structure for life. They're kind mm-hmm. of thinking about a way to think about things. Mm-hmm. Would you consider postmodernism to be a tool rather than a mindset or like a life philosophy? Because that's what it sounds like to me. It sounds like no, skepticism. It's, I mean, it, it, it's basically a codified reason for skepticism. Like for anyone, for anyone to where what it, why it gets used in grievance studies is so. If you cut you you and me, Cam, come to this, we we come to come to the world with an understanding that male hegemony over the species has been a thing for a long time. Like, and we can't take away from the fact that we historically have had a position of power over women, you know, for most of history in certain realms at the very least. Mm -hmm. Now you can get in an argument and say, well, yes, but women decide if babies happen. So, (laughs) They decide if sex happens they've, for the most they've part. Decide, they've decided the entire course of human history by who to fuck, so. <laughs> Jessica's face right now. <laughs> but but understanding, I'm chewing on what you're saying. But understanding that we're carrying, carrying that weight with us. So my daughter is watching us behind me on her tablet. <laughs> it's adorable. She's just, Daddy, look, it's you. um she got me sidetracked where was i going with this um we were talking about perception for like how how we perceive the world and coming to consensus and that's so phenomenology is the study of it is the philosophy of perception like is literally what it is it's why i was interested in it's like interesting like what what is this thing all about and What's useful, like say for quote unquote postmodernist people, is that it kind of gives them a, it kind of gives them an out 
if they take it too far and in, in saying like, well, because you come, you have a dick, I don't have to listen to anything you say because historically you have oppressed people and you know, I, I need to take away your power before we can get to an equal playing field. You know, it's, it's a, it's about deconstructing, you know, sources of power, but it, it, it's not it's not a neat and clean thing and they want it to be the bottom line is okay we can take away my power and the fact that i've come from that but does that simplify and take away agency from women historically like yeah. to, to, to and now we take that cross section on how does race factor in this how does which child in the family you're born affect all this it's far too complicated to deconstruct the whole fucking thing like the web would yeah. be insane and no one could live their life doing it. Right. But having a key insight that we can say, all right, well, I'm going to come into this conversation understanding that I'm going to see things a certain way and that that's going to shade them will help me better understand where someone else is coming to a conversation from. And then it gives us more room to meet in the middle and say, well, hey, since I come from this place and I see things this way, maybe it's fair to say that I'm kind of pushing in one direction more than is necessary based on what my personal history is. And maybe you're trying to push things. So when we try and meet in a place in the middle, this kind of makes more sense than anything. It kind of squares with both of our personal histories. And so you kind of get a perception of, you get a sense of the more things overlap between you, me and cam and everybody else on the earth, Granted, you're not really seeing the truth because it's just kind of this thing that everything has in common, but the thing that everything has in common is probably the truth. Okay. So do you think truth is derived from consensus? Absolutely. Now, let's say the truth that we would operate through life as, yes. Because okay. um, how would you get to actual truth other than through yourself? You can never take the tool out of it. So the only real way to reach a truth is to kind of see where everything kind of coincides between you and everyone else. And it may not be it, the whole truth, but it's part of the truth and it can lead you to the truth. If you start getting into like, say like if you have a situation, if you take the word of God to be the word of God as he's, he wrote this on the page himself through these men's hands and takes out all culture and the person writing it. And it's just literally jetted out of his brain onto the page Horrible then maybe read the bible then maybe yeah. you could believe that there is a like some type of truth but the bottom line is if you stay here on planet earth that was a person that wrote that in a certain time in a certain place and so when you read anything you have to understand that well this is the context of where this was written now there's a context of where i'm at all these things have transpired since then. This is what the language would have meant back then. What is really being said here? And that's a whole lot of people with their own personal shit and like the world's own, this way, the world's own shit at that point, coming to agreements about what things are supposed to mean. So what happens when the world goes mad? When we see people who are definitely choosing to believe things that have not coincided with what the majority of humans have believed for most of history. And if those things have been good for our survival and now are suddenly being thrown out, you know, it, it, would it not matter that 
whether most people now agree with them or not, that they're not conducive to our survival. If they're not conducive to our survival, then how can we arrive at them as truth? Well, Which is the problem you're describing, I think, is actually in reverse of what the real problem is. Okay. The real problem is that everyone reaches a consensus and then this one aberration decides something else that's not the case. Mm -hmm. um, throughout human history, the aberration has been pushed out and shunned and destroyed, murdered, whatever it is you want to do. The thing that doesn't necessarily agree with it. And throughout history, it's been borne out that change happens through aberration, people seeing things through a different perspective, which is why the whole concept of really understanding biases and things of this nature is so important to understand is that it's going to be in the cracks and the ways that people see things differently that we're going to progress as human beings, that we're going to find that next technology, we're going to find that next key concept, we're going to find the next beautiful, great piece of art. It's all through the personal understanding of what truth is. Now, mm -hmm. and, and I think art's the greatest example where you get to see a more powerfully, more potent version of someone else's idea of truth. Right. So, so go ahead, Cam. No, I was just going to ask. So the for you, you know, you say we kind of come across truth as a um, product of consensus. But would you personally say that there is truth that's just beyond our understanding? That well, there is and, some and, and, objective truth out there? And that's the, idea, that's the idea of absolute truth. And I think we all have to function as though there is some sense of absolute truth. The, the Once again, the key of, of the whole postmodernist, the core of what postmodernism uses is that whether or not that, that's there, I have to understand that I can't see it. It's by the way, I mean, you can, me. you can call that God, no matter yeah. what you do and who you are, you're never going to be able to see God because you couldn't comprehend it. If you could, there's just too much there. Like, so it's like, let's be all of a sudden seeing the source code for everything that is like, <laughs> what would life be? I certainly is thought it? of God when you were talking about that. It's like, well, obviously God. And you, you, we had kind of touched on the beginning, and you said that you love when religion runs up against this. And I wondered how I mean, you. The same thing. Like, you can put your faith okay. in one thing versus another. You can search for your meaning in the world in one thing or another. Um, okay. But ultimately, you're both both religion is a sense making thing. It's there to make sense of the world around you. Some people, it's easier to look at beautiful historical stories of these lessons that are timeless, and believe that there is some being out there that's kind of guiding things for other people it's nice to look at math equations on a piece of paper that tell them exactly how things are the way they are and if you could get all the math equations and plug them all in just right you could get that perfect picture of exactly how the world is but if you talk to anyone in physics you never actually get the exact thing you always get kind of like a just off facsimile because you can always put in some type of equation for some other force that acts on it like, I, I, if you talk celestial bodies, there's all the gravity between the bodies. And there's the gravity of a meteor that might happen to fly through at this point in time. At this point, like, it, it through, like everything, because everything acts on everything, and the world is so complex, it, it would be an endless string of numbers to get reality. But we can get close. So a lot of people have argued, especially people in, like, the physics realm, have argued that the universe seems to be set up according to mathematic law. And mathematics is a type of logic. It's something like 
born of um, intellect. And so that suggests order to the universe. And, you know, that's sort of like, maybe like, I wouldn't say like that mathematics is an objective truth, but there definitely seems to be an ordered uh, intellect to the ordering of the universe, why the universe is the way that it is. It, it is specific. It has, it has a very specific, matter has to have a very specific frequency or it doesn't exist. If we're one point off this way or one point off the other way, matter can't coalesce. So according to these laws that we understand with our intellect, the universe is ordered. You'll get no argument out of me. Right. Uh, once again, the, the the thing is, is it's it's about where you come into that equation, where you come into that at. Um, okay. Like, so you, me, and Cam are all mostly dead space. From a, if you look at us at a matter standpoint, I'm mostly adipose though. Atomic at, 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 like atoms are mostly empty space, and we're all made of atoms. Okay. Now we all perceive ourselves as being solid. But if someone sure. to sit there, and, I, I, it, it is not at odds for me to say, you are basically nothing. Like you're just mostly empty space. But I perceive you as a solid being because that's the way physics works. <laughs> it's like the way sure. those the way that empty space and forces work. Like you, you're, you're an actual person. Like you, I can't throw water through you. But both of those statements are definitely true. You could say, like, for example, that a concrete wall is mostly empty space, but if you slam into it at 80 miles an hour, you're definitely going to encounter, like, electromagnetic force, inertia, these well, other things. Well, the exact same thing. Like, if you're, you make it even, even, even more confusing, like water. <laughs> you fall, you know, you, you can dive into a pool, but if you fall at the same pool from 100 feet in the air, you're going to hit it like a concrete wall. Sure, yeah, absolutely. It's I think and, it's about at 150 feet, yeah. water becomes basically like hitting concrete. Exactly. And bullets and, don't go through it. So every time I see a movie and someone shoots someone through water, I'm like, well, that's not a real thing. So, so, ima <laughs> so imagine you're an atom and you're looking out at the world from your own position. What are you going to see? Atoms. Mostly, atoms, most, yeah. mostly empty space and a lot of atoms. Mm -hmm. But hey, we get, the, we get the perception of seeing the world as humans. We don't see atoms unless we work really, 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 really hard. What we see is a bunch of really complex, interesting things around us at all times. Once again, like the basis of everything now is this sounds like a matter of scope. Well, once again, perception, scope, whatever you want to call it. It's the idea of where you're at in everything that defines what you see. And as a sense, defines truth for that for that atom. The world is mostly just empty space. For you and me, it's full of a bunch of shit. Mm -hmm. Now, neither one of those is technically wrong, but we see because of how we see things, and that atom's never going to see the world the way we see it because it can't, because it's not a human being. It's just an atom. We, on the other hand, have this beautiful ability to see things the way we see them and use our brains to kind of poke and see what else is out there and look to see if maybe there's not a different way to perceive things. And that's where I think that the whole postponement thing really fucks up is that it, they like to pretend that we can't ever step out of ourselves and right. discuss like it's like the idea. I can't get a sense of what, how you feel and how you see things. Okay. So like, I can't that, only see things the way I do. Isn't that sort of the essential, the essential thing that makes us human beings is that we're able to perceive into the future, for example, which is not something that, as far as we know, animals do or inanimate objects or plants or any other kind of 
a creature, as far as we know, can perceive uh, into the future, and which I is something that we do all the time, and we perceive into the past. And I would never personally make that claim because plants can do a lot of wild shit. Well, and squirrels okay. <laughs> collect nuts for the winter. So I mean, like the, there are these things that. How much of this is uh, human-centered logic? Do you do you think that squirrels are collecting the nuts for the future because they're seeing the future, like they're seeing their future unraveling before them, or that they have a base instinct that tells them to collect nuts together? How do you know what you have isn't a base instinct? Yeah, and you, um, fancy, I mean, and you, you fancy it up with a bunch of other shit. Fancy it up. <laughs> yep. I mean, I, we're fancy. We are fancy. It. That's true. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. See, that that's the thing. Like, um, we we can't know that for sure. Uh, but there seems to be a unique quality in human beings that doesn't necessarily seem to be born out in other animals. Well, you just said something that to me is exemplifies exactly why I think the whole postmodern thing and the way that it works is, is just so stupid. You said, <laughs> "Well, you're right. We can't we can't see that." But guess what? We all act as if we <laughs> we have an understanding of what it's going to be in the future because we, we've kind of agreed that. Well, maybe I can't see it, but it seems to make sense that this would be the case, and we all, all kind of go to that place. Okay, but that's isn't that it's very nature the way that science is conducted. Like we have to collect data, fancy like a date night at Applebee's. Um, we, we you know, the, the very first step in science is to collect observations, to put data together, and then use that data to make suppositions about the world. And then All we right. test those suppositions. Okay, and if, 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 hold on, and if we cannot disprove the supposition, we have an evidence-based trust. Well, you and you never that. say, you never you say that anything is proven. You only say that it has failed to be disproven. I agree. Yeah. Um, you have a lot of trust in a lot of different things in there. A lot of people sure. find it. It's like, you know, which side of the line you choose to pick when you're uh, taking a measurement of something. Like, say, mm -hmm. you're looking for distance and well, where, where are we at here? You know, am I at this side of the line or am I at that side of the line? That could be entirely based on how fucking shitty the person doing the measuring had as their day and where they started. Like, where do you where do you put your start point? Is it here? Is it you know? Do I line the the beginning up just before? Or be, you know, measuring tools is I guess what they say. The way that the person using the tools uses the tools already Matters. acts on what that's going to do in the future and how that information is going to be used. Like it, it, Once again, you can never take out human action and human like error from the being of something. And mm -hmm. then even if you have that number, like here's a good idea on what numbers mean perceptually. Um, 800,000 people have died of a, of a particular disease. Some unnamed disease. Yeah. That sounds awful, right? Mm -hmm. Until you look at what a percent percentage of the population that is, and you're like, oh shit, why are we worried about this? Right. All based on the same number. We're seeing the same thing. But how we feel about that number changes very wildly the implications that that number has in reality. And what is the truth of that number? We're both seeing the same number. But to some people, the truth is that the world is ending. To others, the truth is, well, this is just a day like any other. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't think that our brains were meant to conceptualize, like for for example, eight hundred thousand deaths, far flung as they might be all over the globe. I don't think we're meant to like conceptualize everything that's happening all at the same time. Like you could never fit it into your brain to have this totally um, accurate perception of the world. Like you, you, you couldn't perceive an entirely accurate perception of the world. So we do accept a certain level of um, what's the word I'm looking for a certain level of error, you know, give or take Mm -hmm. plus or minus Mm -hmm. 0.001, you know, depending on whatever we're looking at. But at the same time, we still trust that the principles of lift will work when we get into an airplane, you know? And on that point zero zero one chance- Unless you're a postmodernist. <laughs> unless you're a postmodernist, well, yeah. But I mean, at the same time, thousands of planes fly around every single day. And we, we, you know, we pretty much know that if you take an aircraft and you put it at a certain speed and it's the right shape, it'll lift up into the air. So and you have sun, to. At, and the sun's go gonna ahead. rise again tomorrow, unless an asteroid blows it up tonight, and well, technically blows it up a couple, couple light years ago. But <laughs> well, it's like it's like there is something to be said about like what you said about humans being able to understand large numbers or large quantities of or even time. Because I was talking to my son the other day, and he's so stoked that he can count to you know two hundred. And he's like, dad, how high can you count? And I was like, well, if you can count to a hundred and then you can count to a thousand, I mean, it's, it's all the same thing. Did did you use base 10 in that conversation? I would always use base 10. (laughs) All about base 10. Uh, But uh, he was like, you know, I'm going to count to a billion. And I was like, you better be prepared to be doing that for at least the next 32 years. Um, But probably more. Cause if you're saying them out loud, there's just there's just no way that would be one second per time you say a number. And he he was like, wait, 30, 31 years. I was like, there's a good chance that. Well, no, not a good chance. I'll probably still be alive then. But like, you know, old time life expectancy, I would be dead by the time you counted that number. You yeah. know, like th- th- I will be elderly. And he it was just this crazy little moment when I was talking to him and his perception was completely changed because, you know, one million takes what a, a couple weeks but a billion takes 32 years and it's just impossible for people to understand that that's why when i see people talking about like national debt or anything like that and they're like look at this big number it's like no one's going to know what that means when i was a little kid that big (laughs) when i was little and i i remember asking my dad a similar question along the lines of how high can you count and he said as high as you can count and then i add one and that was just kind of like oh it never stops, does it? Like the oh, addition of numbers never stops. So are we going to get into like the degrees of infinity? <laughs> I couldn't even speak on that. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay, let me see if I can kind of conceptualize what we've been talking about here because I'm like a dumbass coming into this conversation. I'm just trying to understand the concept. So what we're saying is that it's impossible for a human mind, no matter how educated or how many numbers or how many measuring tools it has, to actually perceive an accurate picture of u- the universe. And if well, we agree that we can't perceive an accurate picture of the universe, then we have to acknowledge the level of error, not only in our own minds, but each other's minds, and arrive at consensus that we can both agree on to def- have any definable truth. I don't like the word error. Okay. Because... 
I mean, it's not an error that you're seeing something. It's just the way you're seeing it that yeah. that may deviate from quote unquote absolute truth. Because once again, you just don't have there, there's missing anything, missing data anywhere in that sequence of events that allows to, you're the ruler that you're using to mention using to measure could have come out of a set of rulers that was a one millimeter off at its base mm-hmm. and, and now so everything that's ever measured with that and and then the thermometer that you use on the next part of the system that one's just always going to be a degree over to what everybody else's is and now you don't know that you have no way of knowing that you could you'd have to go prove your thermometer and uh you know measuring device against any every every other one in the world and guess what they're all going to be different and much the same Scientists- that we're all going to be <laughs> Scientists do acknowledge this. When I was um, a biology major, every measuring tool we had had some measure on it that said plus or minus 0.00 something. There was some acknowledgement that this tool, based on the guy who made it that day sneezing, could be off by X amount of points. And we sort of like write that into our scientific uh, work. Mm -hmm. So like... That's definitely something that, like, even when you see science as sort of like a, a way to arrive at truth, a, a winnowing stick, if you will, from divining truth from from error, um, there is and that the, acknowledgement. And so there's like a, this is kind of like philosophy catching up to science in that regard. Okay. And, and kind of telling itself that you're trying to talk about ideas and the way that human beings see things and the way that we react with each other. And to do that, a core precept that you're going to have to accept in whether this is not always the case that they would have bothered is that I can't see the world without, without through and in any way that's not through my eyes. Mm-hmm. And even when I like read the way somebody else's world is, I'm still reading it through the lens of how I perceive that person. So it's like you can get really, really close, and I think the more, like, I think consensus is a great, great thing because the more people you get kind of seeing things, you can kind of cross a lot of ideas, and the more different kinds of people you have seeing things, the more you can see what might be the truth of what you've always thought is true. You're gonna see, well, maybe they don't see all the same things I do, but they'll see some of the same things I do, and these people over here see some, some of the same things I do, and at the core of that, you get closer to defining what might be an absolute truth. Now, also understanding that and even the place in the universe, like say we're sitting here on earth and we're saying, oh man, the sun's going to rise tomorrow. We don't, we know that only in so much as it always has. Now there could be a, somebody sitting there watching in a telescope as a meteor crashes in the sun and knows the day it's going to happen. And they know 100% accurately that the sun's not going to rise tomorrow for us. Mm-hmm. Now that's because their perception of reality is from a different place. And they can mm-hmm. see something; they have information that we don't have. Mm-hmm. And as long as we're all finding out new information and seeing things from different perspectives, like what 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 really will that truth ever be, other than this thing that we chase, perhaps unattainably? We can always get closer to it, never quite reaching it. And I mean, frankly, if a from an atheist perspective, it, it is very interesting in that. You look for truth. I mean, the idea of truth and God are <laughs> almost entirely synonymous because it's a perfect, it's an ideal, it's a thing to chase after, but perhaps never actually reach. I, I have I've noticed this tendency in atheists, and I did it myself when I was an atheist, which was, 
that you uh, still want there to be a God in that way. You just don't want to call it God. You don't want to acknowledge, you know, Christianity or Islam or whatever it is that you're running away from, but you still need that sort of like bearing and truth. I'm running away now, am I? <laughs> no, no, I, that's, that's, I'm, I'm not, I'm making a broad statement this about her perception, my perception, right, right. <laughs> that there is, there's that sort of clinging to objective truth, clinging to scientific truth, saying that this is what is, you know, this, this is what is true. They still need something to be true. You need, still need um, an earth to walk upon. You, you, you need to know that when you step outside onto the ground, the ground will hold you. When you get into a plane, the plane will carry you. Whatever those things are, you still mm -hmm. need that. You need, you need your reality to hold together. And even if at some point the sun will explode in the sky, which, you know, as far as we know, it will, at some point, yep. um, you know, you still need to operate in your life day to day with the presumption that the sun is going to rise tomorrow. And what what is sort of unhappening, unfortunately, in our culture right now is that this concept of postmodernism, which when we're talking about it in like a scientific realm makes a lot of sense to me, like all of the things that you're saying to me right now make sense. And I agree with them, basically. Mm -hmm. Like we have consensus, you and I, but I think like there's this uh, way that it's being used in culture that is a whole sort of different can of worms where we're now saying, okay, um, men give birth, you know, all of the various things that are coming sort of out of the, I, I, I think I heard you call it uh, grievance studies. Yes. Is that what you're referring to when you talk about it's a grievance lot of people studies? call it grievance studies? It's like, the, okay. you know, black, black studies, women's studies, Asian American right. studies at the colleges. They're, they're classified as grievance studies, but depending. So on I'm, I'm, I'm willing to apply what you're talking about to the sun rising. Like I'm, I'm I'm fairly certain that the physicists have some backing to say one day the sun is going to explode in the sky because they've observed it happening in other places. They've observed they observed black holes in the mathematics before they ever observed them in the telescope. And so they have an evidence-based trust of why these things are happening. So However, when we're applying that to culture, it seems to be um deleterious to you, me. You and, and here's where the and here's where the thing is. Here's the difference. You you saying when we do this, um, what what good are really advanced tools in you know astrophysics to you or me in most cases? Oh, you useless. That's I mean I I doesn't it doesn't mean that I observed a black hole in mathematics. I have I, never I, observed I, I, a black I have, hole I have, in I have mathematics. A I have a thrust here. That's my point. Yeah. So I was just yeah. gonna say real quick, the idea of observing black holes in mathematics. That makes no fucking sense to me whatsoever. Oh, um, you, we'll you get Kevin to talk to you about it. That means you were taught math wrong. Yeah. It's uh, look, I, trust I, me. I, they, I found a black hole and some numbers. Well, no, this they, is the, the the reason they observed. I, go ahead. Sorry. Well, no, I was gonna say I've been trying to get someone to write a book for years. Um, you, you have no idea how many friends I have my age of kids that are that hate math, and. If you hate math, it's because someone tried to teach you math without physics. Because the minute you learn that math can go and create these beautiful, complex pictures and visions of how the world operates around you, the minute you can go and see a black hole in numbers before it actually see it in reality, 
how can you not think that's the most amazing and beautiful thing in the world? And the idea that we pulled math out of that and teach it as some abstraction is just fucking criminal. Right. But once again, what I was getting at with, with Jess was, so is you and I can't use the, uh, physicists' tools. You mm -hmm. were asking fucking politicians to use philosophers' tools. You might as well just go and give a four-year-old a fucking scalpel and say, here you go, kids. You don't yeah. know what the hell they're doing. And guess yeah. what? That four-year-old's going to do a lot of damage in much the same way that a politician is going to do a lot of damage with a very simple concept. Because if you yeah. don't understand the way in which that concept is useful and kind of the boundaries for what it can do and probably shouldn't do, well, you're going to run the risk of doing a lot of awful shit. Mm -hmm. Like, say, rip apart an entire culture. Yeah, right. which is, I, I think we're observing that in real time, our culture being ripped apart and, and, and by concepts that don't make any sense. Well, and that's the thing is the concept makes sense. It's just what people try and do with the concept that it becomes dangerous. Like at the end of the day, understanding that you and I see the world differently and have different viewpoints and that that's going to change how we relate to each other. is a It's a very, very important understanding. Now, sure. taking that I to agree. say that we can never find, we can never come to an agreement on anything because we'll never be able to see the world in any meaningful way together which is what they want you to believe. The whole point mm -hmm. is the way it's being used now is they want you to think that you can't ever see the truth. You can't ever. So it's just, we're going to beat each other up with our own worldviews forever. But right. we know that that's bullshit. Like human right. humanity has been agreeing and con creating consensus on things forever. So of course we can do that. Even to the point where these things are beneficial to our survival. We're talking about mm -hmm. the way that culture is ordered, not just here. Every every culture on the planet has some things about it that are commonalities that run true through most of the cultures. And mm -hmm. they've been they've been ordered that way because they're good for survival. Even if you take God completely out of the discussion, we say that, okay, at the very least, these things are are ordered the way that they are because they benefit human survival. And now we're taking that and throwing that into the wind and saying none of this applies because some of it has been used for oppression. Some of it has been used for evil. And sure, uh, you know, some people have, you know, used power structures for their own benefit. Like that's like, again, uh, one of those uh, things that I think is like maybe... I don't want to say a universal truth, but like it's something that it, most of us have consensus on that people will abuse authority if they're given it. So, you know, we're, we're throwing out the baby with the bathwater and it's concerning. And I see why people turn around and say postmodernism is evil because it's taking the order of our culture, turning it on its head and not in any kind of like innovative, uh, you know, actually progressive way. Well, how about it's, this? It's like it's like people in the fifties watching black people move into their neighborhood and going, "Oh, this the world's burning down around us." And oh, well, it's it's not really what's happening. It's just your perception what's happening based on you saw one black person do something terrible one time. And that's unfortunately what we have is we have a bunch of fucking crazy people taking ownership of something and trying to th destroy the world around them. Well, because... they, and they do that with science too. Look at all of the different ways the world was going to end over the past 30, 40 years, hundred mm -hmm, years, mm -hmm. how it, there was going to be a new ice age. Now there's now it's, well, no, there actually is going to be a new ice matter. age. No yeah. one's ever, no one's ever actually floundered on the ice age thing. That's really happening. Well, but the, the, the timeline, well, so and, and, year well, and see, and that's the thing now, science has never actually wavered on any of that. But since you were told science by fucking, 
politicians and journalists, they kind of decide what the science is by the time it gets to you. Mm-hmm. If you actually go and read the, um, what is it? The LPCC or whatever the study is. I used to, back when I was doing an environmentalist podcast, <laughs> I used to be oh. better up on it. Um, science doesn't there, change there much is, on this. People's there, perception of it changes. The there will absolutely be another ice age. I think that the, from what we can tell, there are cycles. But yeah, I, we're I run, all, running into a grand solar minimum right now. Yeah, right. I've and heard so, of this. Yeah. And so all, all I'm saying is that even some of the scientists that went to the journalists, those pet scientists, those the people you see today that tell you everything that's going to happen in the next 12 years, the same the same type of scientists that are paid by certain people to get certain things pushed through. No, see, and actually, that's where you're wrong. Go go actually read uh, read Michael Schellenberger's Apocalypse Never. Well, no, and I'm talking what you'll about find like out the is those scientists who made like bets. Nope, that's the thing. I'm telling you right now that that's not even a thing. If you actually go read the studies that the scientists come up, they're just being fucking mistold to you. Like they'll they'll say, well, there's a possibility in the worst case scenario that if this one thing happens, yes, it could maybe lead to this 200 years down the road. And by the time mm-hmm. that reaches you, it's a journalist going, the fucking world's going to end in 12 years if if we don't just completely destroy all of our society. Now, the reason that's what happens is because, well, we could get conspiratorial, but it's just go and look at just go just go look at what the just go look what the UN has wanted to do for sixty years. Go watch an episode of Captain Planet and tell me (laughs) how you were indoctrinated as a child. I wasn't allowed to watch Captain Planet. (laughs) Why? (laughs) Because it was a environmentalist bullshit. Oh, (laughs) if you guys, yeah, but. Have you never watched me and uh, or listened to me and um, Ben from Run Your Mouth Coffee t- do our deconstruction of the episodes? I have not. No. I think we got, I think we got like eight or nine episodes into the series before we kind of both let life get in the way of podcasting. But we right. we went we went went and went a bunch of episodes deep into the first season where we like watch them and kind of talk about them. And oh man, watching those things as a as a near forty year old man looking at the shit they were trying to tell us kids. Wow, it's imagine it's it's amazing any of us are able to <laughs> live in reality. I, when I was a kid, I thought the world would be over by now. I thought like we would have destroyed the planet, the forests would have all been burned down. And like the truth is if we stop using fossil fuels, that the forests would be decimated like overnight. Because that's um, the only way people would have to like heat their homes and feed their children. Well, and there would be a lot more dead people in general. Because I mean, yeah. in you know, plastics do a whole hell of a lot for the world. Mm-hmm. And meanwhile, while you're having this stupid conversation about particles of, you know, dust in the air, you're not talking about soil erosion and how all of our arable farmland is being completely destroyed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You're not. You're not talking about how we waste. Um, acres upon acres of arable land as fucking yards because some asshole king wanted to wave his dick a bunch of generations ago and say i'm so fucking wealthy i don't even have to use my land for productive capacity every time i'm mowing my lawn i curse the french monarchy because they are the reason i'm out there mowing that bullshit in the heat like this should not be a thing and yet it is and and because we learned wrong how to farm twenty thousand years ago, it, it, the alternative would be more backbreaking work. When if you realized, oh hey, no, like there's regenerative agriculture and I can go and set things up to grow for themselves. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But most people yeah. don't realize, A, no, that's even a thing. <laughs> so. Basically turning my backyard back into a meadow, which would have been its original state. Um, I, you don't think you could been, do something more, more constructive with it? Well, what I, it is basically bare clay at this point. Like anything grown in it, I have to bring soil and I have to bring nutrients into it. So if I reconstitute the meadow on top of it, it will eventually start to rebuild its own soil. Maybe yeah. many years after I have left, but it, I have to let roots get down into it before go, life will take on. Go and watch a movie. It's a documentary called Need to Grow. Okay. And then, then re- re- come back to me and be like, my mind has been completely blown. The government is trying to kill us all. <laughs> well, I already think that. So there you're is, like, let's not a, get conspiratorial. There's I'm a like, better do way. You, do you know how crazy I actually am? <laughs> like, if, you, <laughs> well, if you talk to me late enough into the evening, you'll find out how crazy I am. What's What's funny is that the, you watch that movie or the documentary. Um, and like, there's a point in it where the guy holds up this uh this this piece of metal from. I actually showed this to some friends, new new friends of mine the other day, and I'm like, go watch this documentary <laughs> because there's gonna come a point, and he's like, I actually showed them the building that two thirds of the way through the documentary, the building burns down for this thing that the guy, uh, it's a green powerhouse, mm-hmm, and it is mm-hmm. a basically it's a way to hypercycle regeneration of uh soil and nutri like so nutri- plant nutrition mm-hmm, um mm-hmm. It basically goes through and does at rapid speed what nature is going to do anyways mm-hmm. and it, the whole system's combined of like this giant building with that grows algae in it and it's full of water and then this incinerator that burns up like scrap wood and things of that nature it burns up uh earth material mm-hmm. and so it does this, and it, it only has one waste product. And this waste product is enough electricity to run a 150 homes. Wow. <laughs> while, while making your land's nutrition fucking skyrocket. Mm-hmm. And two-thirds of the way through the movie, it burns down. And, and you're looking at this incinerator completely intact, Next to a building that was full of algae and fucking water. And that thing burned to the ground. And and the guy who's like in charge just pulled picks up this piece of metal off the ground. He's like, huh, it's weird. And the guy's like, Well, what's that? He's like, Well, I mean, this was designed to, you know, take the effects of an engine. <laughs> like it's a it's a piece of metal that's melted that was supposed to be able to take like actual engine propulsion temperatures yeah and you know here it is melted so how the fuck did this giant room full of water just fucking explode and burn to nothingness like in an instant are you familiar next door well the the incinerator next door is untouched are you familiar with the back to eden process of gardening uh yeah actually he was watching uh john pergioni it's a youtuber uh, as he was yeah. doing it, just I, I, a, I know about dump John. A bun, dump a bunch of freaking wood in the backyard and let it do what it's going to do. 
So that's um, the process that there's a, a documentary called Back to Eden. And it's a um, like maybe two or three hour documentary about this guy, Paul, who I'm pretty sure is still alive, but he's quite old now. And his entire process for the way that he gardens on his property, he took from the Bible and um, says that basically the Bible is telling us how to be regenerative with our soil. And instead of stripping everything off of it, that each grow process should add more nutrient content back into our soils. Yep. And he does that with um, wood chip. Like basically, so I started, I took this on, I watched this, it hit me like a ton of bricks and I did all of this in my backyard and my backyard is a wildflower meadow right now. And now, it started with wood chips. Do you know, and do you know why that, why all that's the case? Why well, that, it why that, what that does? It, it adds the carbon it, the carbon materials that break down and then the mycelium and all of those combi well, combinative processes get together to create the soil. So the clay is part of it. The clay is already there. The yes, clay is the, the, the raw the other earth. stuff back into it. Yes. So you got to get the other stuff. So it's like um, not just wood chips. It's the, the growth of the plants. That it's, it's the growth of the microbiome. It's mm -hmm, the, the mm -hmm, key. Mm -hmm. The thing that we all talk about, your gut biome and your... Like, yep. Guess what? All the little critters are really fucking important. Mm -hmm. And guess and guess what? Industrial agriculture doesn't take into consideration the little critters, right? And uh, I mentioned earlier, like <laughs> you were asking me about, um, you know, I think animals and plants or whatever, and and I said, well, I'm not choosing any one of those. Which one's the smartest one? Because plants, who when you start getting into like the mycelium network. Mm -hmm. And you're watching something, uh, something happens here affects like the way trees are growing 500 miles away because the mycelium network is yeah. like a giant neural net between here and there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, man, I'm, I'm, I'm not willing to say that plants might not be the most, most uh, in intelligent thing on the planet. <laughs> it's like a brain literally the size of the planet when you grow all the mushrooms together. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So... And, well, and that's, yeah, no, I was trying on. to do broad. I was trying to do broad strokes purposes, but I've seen a lot of the information that you're talking about. For example, how older trees will shunt nutrients to younger trees, mm -hmm. and you know, there's a lot of things. I mean, I don't want to get too wacky with it, but that um, what was that movie, Fern Gully in space. Oh, I love Fern Gully. Um, but it was My the name it was is the, Betty. My logic is erratic. <laughs> But what's the one with the people, the blue Avatar? people? Avatar. So a lot of the things that they talk about the way that the trees communicate in Avatar actually came from some papers that a biologist did when she was studying um, redwood trees and how the redwood trees would sort of like, you know, like communicate under the forest floor through the use of mycelium, which is basically like mushrooms, fungus. And so they're able to like, like I was saying, shunt nutrients from the older trees to the younger trees or trees that need it. You know, um, if a tree is diseased, it can um, make sure that it's getting its proper nutrients or what, what it needs to like. Mm -hmm. um, also, if a certain bug is attacking a plant, it can give off pheromones that attract the predator of the bug that's attacking it. Well, if you want to get real wild, they've done studies that'll show like, say, you as a person are deficient mm -hmm. in a vitamin mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. will show your plants in your garden actually overproducing that vitamin to try and That's like interesting. Oh, yes to try and mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and and maybe the reason you're deficient is because your body doesn't doesn't actually get it so like the thing that you would think is oh well i'm not getting the nutrition from where i'm at well maybe it's just a problem in how you your body treats the nutrition because like i said they've, they've done the studies and seen oh well, you're low in vitamin k and this particular all your plants are having an abundance of vitamin k and i'm like overproducing it for what they should mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It, it gets real fucking wild out there yeah <laughs> And like, and by the way, you can call that God. I would just call that the way it is. <laughs> whatever, whatever, whatever truth is. I, I think we don't need to add a bunch of layers of old shitty cultures on top of getting to the core of what's there, or what's not there. I don't know. Some of those cultures are not so shitty, and I think they've been um, extremely beneficial to our survival. Oh, Even I if you want to take the um, take the the mystical element, the Mysterian, out of it, you could at least say that it's been very, very beneficial to. You'll get an help. argument here, right? But much like any other tool, at some point you you need to decide: Do I still need this particular tool, or is there a better tool out there? Uh, I think a lot of people have grabbed onto shittier tools as opposed to finding better tools, like postmodernism. <laughs> that would be a wonderful shittier tool. <laughs> or at least a tool well, being used improperly. Yeah, well then that's that's what's interesting to me is like all of the last few minutes have been very tangible and I, I appreciate tangibility. I think that when we're having this conversation, I think that we're doing a lot better job or you're doing a lot better job than most people who talk about postmodernism because they don't know how to talk about it. They don't know they don't even know how to make it interesting because they can't even agree on terms. It's like, mm-hmm, I swear mm-hmm. to God, most some I, I know it isn't this, but it's like if you put an objectivist and a um, a postmodernist in the same room and had them talk, it would be the most horrible thing to ever witness ever, because objectivists, they are very specific about their definitions of words and how they don't mean the thing that the zeitgeist or the the agreement of that word means. And mm-hmm. then you have the the opposite in which is the postmodernist saying the exact oh, words mean anything. Yeah, words right. mean anything. Whatever. Can you imagine a more horrible conversation to listen to? <laughs> Both so, are so irritating. That's true. <laughs> wait. So how are we setting? How are we setting this up? We're getting Thaddeus Russell, and uh, what's his name from the Ayn Rand Institute? Uh, Yaron <laughs> Brook. <laughs> yeah, Yaron Brook. Let's get these two together. <laughs> Don't want oh, to wait, no, let's, we need to get. We need to get that Mark guy who who, who started. Who did the objectivist was uh, a uh, political party or whatever? Him and uh, <laughs> him and Thaddeus together would be insufferable. It would be, it would be terrible. Uh, but I, one of the things that I find interesting is a friend of mine on Twitter who I don't know his real name. I'm going to call him Pizza because that's the only name I know him by. Um, he was he and another guy were arguing about philosophy because he was his take is that there are all these different philosophies and these are different tools that you can put on your tool belt for life. And so you may have a use for postmodernism at this point. You may have a use for another philosophy here. And the argument was that philosophy isn't tools. It's almost holistic in its application. Would you disagree with, which, if you were to disagree, which one would you disagree with? Because I'm, I'm curious if you see philosophy as a tool. Well, First off, what are you talking about in philosophy? Like just 
Are we talking specifically metaphysics? Like, are we talking ethical theory? Like, well, it, which they, which it, one part of, the, of what? One one of the pieces. Well, that's the thing. It wasn't a particularly deep conversation, but they were talking about postmodernism, and I believe the other person was talking about stoicism. And so he was saying, you know, I I need that skepticism in my tool belt of postmodernism, but mm -hmm. I like to use stoicism in my day day to day life to affect myself. And just the idea of calling philosophy tools was anathema to the other person in the conversation. Well, that person sounds stupid to me, but which which one? <laughs> the, the person that didn't look at philosophy as tools. I mean, the both of those things bring different things to the table. I guess you could say that there are philosophical theories, but once again, then you start getting more into religion than philosophy at that point. Like you, you. I guess I don't understand how you can even say that. So you can say that. So someone with a utilitarian worldview versus somebody with a uh, you know a Christian worldview Dude. are going to do very very different things, and they're both philosophies but neither one of those is affected by whether or neither one of those specifically incorporates or doesn't incorporate postmodern theory right well and and so and it's like we, we were talking what the with fuck kim. is this person even talking about yeah we were talking with kim in the last episode about stoicism mm -hmm. and there's a lot of push against people who are christians and utilize stoicism and in that it, it, that conversation reminded me of that argument about philosophy being a tool okay. because really obviously they seem so close to me so the basics of most of my study in, in uh philosophy was in ethics and i remember my ethics intro to ethics in uh freshman year and you had this girl at the front of the class who answered every single question wrong anytime it was brought up because she's a christian in her own her worldview, the only thing that determines whether something is right or wrong is God. Completely incapable of looking at the fact that well, a lot of people don't fucking believe in God, and they still look at things as right or wrong, too, and how does that happen? Some people look at right or wrong as, well, the greater number of people get positivity out of this, and that's what defines it as right or wrong. Some people define it as, you know, like if there's an intrinsic value, let's say, to a, a human being, and... Like their their core precept is you're just not allowed to act act uh, violence against them unprovoked. You know these these all construct what makes something right or wrong. So whether or not God does it is is just one way of arriving at a right or wrong. And this girl literally was completely fucking incapable of seeing that you could look at the world in different ways. The only way right or wrong happened is through God. And what you're telling me right now is the same fucking thing. Some people are incapable of realizing that, well, other people have different ways of seeing the world. <laughs> Bottom line. I don't know if that's necessarily a mark of Christianity as much as it was a mark of that girl's level of understanding. Oh, no, no. That, that, was, that was what I was getting at. Like, the, 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 my point was just to utilize a very specific example for my freshman year. And I was like, God, this is stupid. Like, I'm capable of going and looking at your ethical theory and seeing this is why you believe he thinks is right or wrong. How are you not capable of stepping outside of yourself enough to go, oh, well, if I were this person and these were the core values of my particular way in the world – then I would see things being done this way, and that would create right or wrong. She had no ability to do that. It was literally, no, God says so. That's why. 
it was like the worst that's... example of like what a Christian person can be to me. Well, I think that, that there's in every freshman philosophy class, there's a moron. Or I had two. One, one of the morons <laughs> was, um, well, loud morons. Uh, one of the morons was the guy who um, brought up, he, he, he called himself a po- postmodernist. And every single class, he was talking about how the table, we can't know that this table actually exists because we can't know. And it was every, and then there was the other guy. Every time he he was so f- fixated on the concept of the soul, and his only example was Frankenstein's monster, and I was like, there had there, uh, there are always loud idiots in ph- philosophy classes, and that just made me think it's just a different type. There are always a different type of loud idiot in every philosophical. So you know, you know what you say to that guy is like, we can't be sure this table is here. Hit him with it. No, just why does it matter? <laughs> right. I, I'm going to act as if the table's here because it makes life easier. It's <laughs> like we also like the Vatican has a astrophysics department and a lot of like really advanced scientific research comes out of the Vatican's astrophysics department. So it's not, you know, necessarily like belief in God or belief that God is the no. source of. I didn't try to say that at all. No, no, no. Yeah. I know. I'm just, I'm just sort of elaborating on the idea that like, you know, Yes, you can believe that God is the source of, you know, right and wrong without necessarily letting it affect the idea that um, your worldview can be changed based on evidence. So to bring it back to what Cam was saying, I don't I couldn't even possibly begin to understand who thinks that philosophy is a cohesive, like one cohesive worldview. And there's so many different aspects of philosophy. Like, by the way, are you you an Aristotelian or, you know, I just think that the most important aspect of philosophy comes down to humility. And that's, that's just kind of where I always land in conversations about philosophy is like, I I don't have bad conversations anymore because I don't have conversations about it with egotistical buttholes. But it's, it's one of the things that I think is missing from kind of the current discussion of these things is the Socratic idea of all that I know is that I know nothing is starting from the fact that I, I don't know and I'll never all know, which I think can be summed up as the only positive of postmodernism. <laughs> well, also that you have the freedom to entertain ideas without necessarily accepting them as truths. And yeah, there, yeah, that's, that's a really important way of um, expanding your perception of reality because there are a lot of people that like if they're going to entertain an idea whatsoever, they have to accept it as a truth. And um, they don't allow themselves the freedom to uh, wander around in, in wrong ideas. Well, and that's the basis of that girl in my intro philosophy class. She had to, to dabble. She'd have to think that that was capable of being true. And it's not because the only truth is the one God gave me. Like, right. That one, that was it. <laughs> well, one of the good things, like I did have my ethics professor was a very Christian man, but his um, his whole thing was um, what God bless my brain just completely farted. This is happening more and more. Maybe I need to not eat hot foods at the beginning of stuff. <laughs> I no, thought you started. You, you need to take like harder psychedelics before. <laughs> I just need it. Give me the mushrooms. Trip harder. Yeah. 
<laughs> um, but what were you say, what, what were you saying about the girl? Because I I had a point about that professor. Um, oh, the initial thought was I mean, well, that the point of that girl is like she to entertain the idea of different ethical theories, she'd have to believe that they're capable of being true and that she she's not capable of that because only truth is what God says is true. Oh, okay. That's what I was, what it was. Is there the he um his point of view, which left the garden open for exploring, was that all truth is God's truth. And so that regardless of what truth you come about, that you can explore it and it is not dependent in like if an atheist says something true, then it's simply true because all of the truth coalesces into the absolute, if that makes sense. Right. It seemed like it seems to me like she believed that what her beliefs were were true and not necessarily that they were true because of God. They were true because she believed them to be true. And then she used God to sort of solidify, no, no, everything I believe is true because I said that God said it. And, you know, <laughs> that's kind of a, a prideful, shameful kind of way to observe the world that yeah. everything you believe is true because you say that God said so. She was American, so I guess yeah. <laughs> shameful go hand in hand there. Yeah. But yeah, no, my, my only point is it's that is a healthy view from the Christian perspective is that when you come across truth, it's truth regardless of where it came from. To say yeah. it simply. <laughs> oh, you say, I matter. guess, and once again, it all kind of boils down what it, what is truth. You're talking like little t truth, big t truth. I'd say big t truth exists, but you probably can't see it. Little t truth, there's a million of them, and they're shaded by everything. All I know mm -hmm. is that all of my truth currently comes from Dr. Anthony Fauci. Mm. <laughs> oh, dear. It's going to be a Dr. sad life for you, bro. Dr. Bowl <laughs> of cigarettes. <laughs> So when it comes to ethics, you know, there are different schools, you know, there's deontological ethics and duty bound, there's mm -hmm. um, utilitarian, which, you know, I, I'm sure I hate it as much as I do because I don't fully understand it or it's been explained to me improperly or used improperly around me. But the end justifies <sighs> the means has never been something that I've been like, oh, yeah, totally. I mean, the end justifies the means to who? There's so many ends that people say, like, oh, well, this many people, it was okay for this many people to die or to lose their jobs or to be enslaved. Uh, what if one of them was going to be the guy who cures cancer? Right. Yeah. I think there's so other 10,000 people should have died. <laughs> that's, that's why that the ends justify the means utilitarianism makes very little sense to me because there's no way to know if the ends actually did justify the means. And I don't think it's, do you think it's possible to reach good through doing evil? The, and, and don't, don't try to define evil. I just mean the conception of evil. Do you think it's possible to do good utilizing what we would describe as not good? Well, I think it's pretty evil to shoot somebody in the face, but if they're going to, if they're going to slit my th kid's throat, I'm, probably going to shoot him in the face and I'm going to consider that a great thing that I did for my child. And since that child is closer to my sphere of influence, I will probably assume that it's a better thing to do than not. Maybe if we can parse this down from a shooting in the face example, which is kind of extreme. Um, 
I remember my geography teacher in college showing us a image of a woman cutting down the last tree in an ancient forest. The forest had been basically deforested and there's a woman cutting down the last tree in the last forest. And he kind of showed us this and was like, what a bitch, right? And we're all kind of like, yeah, that sucks cutting down the last tree. He's like, yeah, but she's got kids to feed at home. She's got to light a fire. She's got to cook them food. So should her children die so the last tree in the last forest can remain? Like, are you going to let your children well, do you think that Do you think that that is a less extreme thing? Like, I was just shooting a dude in the face. Like, you just <laughs> you started from the the world is over, and this is the last tree in the last... That seems way right. more extreme. Maybe. Maybe so. But okay, so like, but I, I don't know. It's like... um less like less of a bloody example i guess i don't know like so, it just did seem less this, intense this, this comes to why i'm a philosopher because i i would the answer to all of the questions is it depends who you are it depends so, on your perception in that situation okay so so one, one example that people have used in the past is um abolitionist john john brown some people really dig the guy some people really hate him because he drug out i think he was in kansas he drug out some people who were pro-slavery, sta slave state, but didn't own slaves, and cut their throats in order to try to start a war to end slavery. And so, in in my mind, the killing of what amount to innocent people in order to start a war, which killed, which th that war did s sort of happen in in that way. Uh, you know, what percentage of the population? like a huge percentage of the population was that act of murdering people who have done nothing wrong, a good, if it had turned out to in slavery overall. I, is it, is it okay to kill the innocent in order to serve a greater purpose? I mean, that depends on what your ethical theory is that you're basing it on. Is that like a, the needs so, of the many outweigh the needs of the few kind of thing? What would your personal opinion on that be? No, absolutely not. Okay. Slavery slavery would end when it ended anyways. Murder is murder. Okay. I agree with that. Okay. Yeah. Well, then that, that's where, that's where I land with these things. Like don't, I don't think so. And that's an argument I had a couple of years ago where I, I had said some... Now, now, what if I believe that people of different skin color don't have souls? I would have questions. What are you doing with that belief? If you're just sitting there on your own in the middle of the woods, well, thinking no, but if that, I shoot you're people not actually the, hurting. But if I shoot people anything. in the face that don't look like me and I don't believe they have souls, I'm not doing anything wrong at all. That was one of my my professors that specific pro professor dr joseph davis his statement was full um not philosophy um morality that begins with me must logically and necessarily end with me so having that personal set of very um what's the word um relative morality like that that is not actually morality 
I mean, it's the same thing as if you derive it from what God said, or however you arrive at morality is how you arrive at morality. Um, that's the people who say like, "Oh my God, every every atheist out there is a murderer and waiting." What do you? How what stops you from killing people if you if you don't have God? When the words yeah, of Pendulette, I kill as many people as I want to kill. I rape as many people as I want to rape, and that number is zero. Well, also, the belief in God has not necessarily stopped people from being murderers and rapists either. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you can have the philosophy that murder is wrong and then still do it because, like, philosophy is just that. It's like a mental exercise. It doesn't always necessarily bear out in your reality. Like, you know, you're still sort of operating based on your your instincts, your, your needs, your your hungers, your desires, and philosophy may play a role into that decision-making, but it's not a law. It's not a law. It's not an axiom. Mm-hmm. It doesn't control you. Well, and once again, if your kids are starving, well, that change, oh, the math changes. Mm-hmm. Right. Absolutely. It's, it, it's like when people were talking about uh, Harambe a few years ago. And it's like if there were 10,000 gorillas and I ha- and they were ex- uh, close to extinct and I had to shoot every single last one of those gorillas to save one of my children, I'd do it in a heartbeat. Mm-hmm. Am, am I doing wrong in that moment? Does it matter if I think I'm right? Well, once again, it, 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 does, it matters to nobody but you. Like at the end of the day, you're the person that has to live with the, the guilt or the not guilt of what you did, or I pay with the consequence or pay the consequences of it. You really don't want to eat dolphin. I, I want to try dolphin. I want to try bottlenose dolphin one time in my life. I don't think we. I don't think they actually eat dolphin. You know that when they say dolphin safe tuna, you know they say dolphin safe tuna. It's not that you're eating dolphin in there. It's no, the no, dolphins I, I, I killed want, in the getting. I want a well prepared dolphin. Because they're not they're not uh, endangered or anything. I, I want, want a well prepared <laughs> dolphin. I want to see what that meat's like. I want you to go and watch the slamming salmon right now, <laughs> and watch Michael Clark Duncan punch a swordfish in the head. I hate orcas. I will say that I watched a documentary the other day about how great white sharks are no longer considered the apex predators because apparently orcas will attack great white sharks now and eat their, just eat their liver and let them, you know, be, be beached on the, the, the beach, the sand. And I am so mad because I just, I wanted great white sharks to win that battle. Why? I, they're so fucking cool, dude. So interesting, interesting point to that. Um, my zoology teacher when in my zoology class, he showed us a video of a fox chasing a rabbit. And very quickly within the class, there developed two teams, team rabbit and team fox. And there were people who really wanted the rabbit to escape and people who really wanted the fox to get his meal. And so, you know, we, there was like a football stadium level of cheering going on for this rabbit and this fox. And I think the rabbit did eventually get away, which is great because I was team rabbit. Um, but when he shut the video off, he told us... Um, what just happened in here happens every single class, every time he shows that video that teams develop between Team Rabbit and Team Fox. So are and there's you team something Orca or Team Great White Shark? Oh, I'm Team oh. Orca all the way. Really? I think, sharks sharks yeah. are, I think sharks are stupid. Well, but they're well, that's the thing. They are stupid and they're mindless killing machines, and I love that. But it's like 
orcas are really smart. So they're See, like I find that boring. The but they're That's the cats a... of the sea, so they're like really evil at the same time. Like they'll just fucking kill the slap ping penguins into the the air and kill them slowly or rip. One, they'll, what they'll do is they'll grab the penguin, they'll shake it until its skin comes off, and the rest of the penguin flies out. They're like the most. They're 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 almost evil in the way they do things, and so I'm like, I wish my daughter. You know, could sharks are right just now. sharks so are just trying to eat. You can totally eat dolphin. Lots of cultures do, but because. But because they're near the top of the food chain, um, they collect a lot of mercury. And so they're considered poison not because you couldn't eat their meat in like a whatever kind of world, but they eat a lot of other fish. And so I guess a lot of mercury collects up in their their bodies. I just want to do so it you once. wouldn't want to eat it for that reason. But yeah, if you weren't making a diet out of it. Uh... I'm, I'm just saying I can't I can't talk about ocean creatures. Without thinking about uh, good old John and sex John with whales. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. God bless him wherever he is. The great, the great, uh, the whale, here, whale whorehouse in the sky. Here's here, here's here's the thing. I don't think we've talked about this on the show, but like there are a lot of people. Like if so, if if I were to get on Twitter. And I were to say, if anyone ever tells you that I killed myself, I didn't, don't believe them, that could very well be a troll from me. Like I would I would maybe do that and then kill myself just to just to make people have that kind of conspiratorial conversation after. I think that John McAfee most likely did kill himself when he found out he was coming to the United States. Um, criminal justice system because he saw what I mean Assange isn't even in the criminal the US justice system right now and he's not he like his defense was if I go there I will probably kill myself and then you see what's happened to Ross Ulbricht you've seen how Snowden's had to run away and I'm just like I absolutely see a case that John McAfee did in fact kill himself because he didn't want to go to the United States prison system. I, I hope it was even more simple than that. I hope he's just that dedicated to the troll. I know. Like, like that. I mean, <laughs> talk about, I mean, like if you're in that situation, this, this is the fucking right moment for me to do this, Janice. I'm going to do it. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, and, and that would be like, it's, it's like, I, I got this from malice, but I very much like when I get, to the point where whatever social media is out there, by the time I'm getting closer to death, I'm going to start. I already have. I have like several tweets um, scheduled for time after I'm dead, so that when I die, every now and then people will get tweets from me, and it'll just confuse the shit out of them. <laughs> Good to know. <laughs> so you will hear me after after I'm dead. Just so you're aware. What do you? Uh, how do you? How are you being like taken care of when you're dead? How do you mean? Oh, you know, interment. How are you being interred? Buried, cremated. Let's just oh, what's your plan? Well, until I have land, it's 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 going to be um, probably uh, cremation. But once I have land, I want to be wrapped in linen and planted in the the land. Headstone, sure, but I want it to be kind of ancestral land. That's my goal. Okay. I want to be eaten. <laughs> course you do I, I, jessica I want, probably wants to be eaten too in I what want, regard I, like eaten by worms I want, I or want, eaten nope. by humans nope i will i want to be cremated 
the ashes baked into loaves of bread and then served my send off. You know, it would be a really that way cool I would way literally to get to live on through all of my people. What would be really cool would be, I think we mentioned that on the death episode, but to be put into um, gunpowder for bullets. That would be a pretty cool way to, to do it. Be an interesting one. Wow. But, <laughs> but I mean, like there, there, there are a lot of ways to, to die. You could add me, add um, me to the spermicide on condoms. That'd be kind of cool too. <laughs> there was one lady that. So many great um, ideas. I, I knew of um, years ago whose son passed away. And um, after her son passed away, she had the, the urn and she would, this is, she would literally take it and she would put it into her coffee. She would put it into her, she would mix it into her food when she was making food. She was literally eating her son and probably nine other people that were in that incinerator. Um, But that's a thing that happens. People in their grief will eat the ashes of their their deceased. They're reposed. I think it was in African tribes where I got the idea from initially. I am revolted <laughs> right now. <laughs> Salt shaker, but it's just my ashes. That's a that's a good one. Uh, Paul. <laughs> Thanks, good Paul. Grief. That's a good one. <laughs> just, 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 if, if someone's got to got to do it catchy, it's got to be like a. <laughs> What are one of those like sp- spice uh, spice packets? So one thing I've thought of, and I don't think it's possible, but there is a museum where um, the, if they can get them, they will cut the skin off of tattooed people and tan it so that they can keep those art pieces forever. It's um, expensive. I, I think that would be cool, but really all I want, and my wife says she wants it too, so I don't know if this is good or bad, but I would love to... Bury I'm just imagining his wife skull. wearing him around after he's dead. Just like going to go, going to the store. No, I'm talking, no, she, my my skull. I want. I would like to. I I feel like human skulls are fascinating things. Yeah. I, if I could have an actual human skull, and I would treat it respectfully. Obviously, I'm not going to go uh, shoving it not, up his ass. Not not Ed Gein or whatever. Good luck. Um, but like that is a such a cool thing. I would love to be able to like uh, Del Del close. I think his name was he, I don't know if it was second city or a different improv group, but he ran that. And when he died, he said he wanted his head, his skull to be saved and given to a local theater that they could use as Yorick in Hamlet. And that's, that's also cool. Who the fuck's this Yorick guy? Come on. (laughs) So, to be or on not Ma- to be. In the uh, the monastery, in the Orthodox monastery on Mount Athos, uh, the monks have their skulls. Uh, basically, after five years, they disinter you, and then they take your skull out. They deglove it or whatever needs to be removed off of it, and then they um, imprint who the monk was onto the skull. That's and then so they cool have an, an ostuary where the monk's skulls are all there. And one of during a, a tour, a sixty minutes tour. Um, of the Mount Athos Monastery, the monk had said, these are my future roommates. And so he knew, you know, eventually his own skull, memento mori, what I am one day you will become. You sort of know 
that one day your skull will be among the rest of the monk's skulls. It's like there's kind of a comfort to that. Like, I don't know. I liked the so, idea. Do you really want to be eaten or is there do you have another plan? A me? Yeah. No, no, that's what I want. Like, I 100%. <laughs> I don't think it's going to happen. But like Liz knows that is the uh, the end objective that I want. She's a good baker. I'd trust her. She'd find a way to make it work. <laughs> I, I personally recommend cinnamon. People put me in some cinnamon buns. Yeah. I mean, covered in, yeah. cover in enough cream cheese frosting. Who the fuck cares what it tastes like? <laughs> you fry so, anything, I'll eat it. I mean, I mean most, most of <laughs> what we get in our food isn't actually like flour anyways. It's all wood. Yeah. So Some of it's bone, too, yeah. So we're at about an hour 40 <laughs> at this point. So... Um, let we should probably start winding it down because a lot of people are just going to drop off. People probably already have. Um, but I mean, I'm be honest. I'm I'm not the the late night bug I used to be. I'm I'm starting to drop off myself. I saw that. So <laughs> let me ask you the seminal question, um, which actually I'm going to bring back a question real quick. Just to don't you Jessica. do that. If you I were already to order a pizza doing. right now. What pizza would you order? And uh, Jessica is not going to look up an astrology. She's going to make a genuine reading on that pizza. If I were to order a pizza right now, I mean, I'm going to go barbecue chicken pizza. Ooh. With the red onion? Red onion, barbecue yeah. sauce, cheddar cheese. Personally, I prefer it if it's got the crispy chicken, not the... Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. baked mm -hmm. chicken or whatever it is there. Ah, uh, I see you are also a man of culture. So what does it mean? What does it, what does it tell you about It me? just means that he's a man of culture, yeah. The, the buffalo chicken pizza, or not buffalo chicken pizza, the barbecue chicken pizza is the uh, ultimate pizza. That is like the number one pizza. I'd say buffalo chicken pizza, but nobody makes it right, so... It's, it's very hard to get a good one. You are absolutely right about like, that. When they put ranch on it, it ruins it for me. Mm -hmm. Personally, I want a garlic sauce with blue cheese on it, but mm -hmm. that's because I'm mm -hmm. from Buffalo area. So, yeah, I agree. You know, I actually 100% agree with the ranch thing. 100%. Well, I do like ranch on wings, but I also like blue cheese on wings. I'm just, I like both. I like ranch on pizza. I'm I'm they, I'm by I'm I'm like by when it comes to dressing and the um, problem and is when you drop a cream ingredient onto something that's very hot it spoils it it makes it go rancid and so well, oftentimes never, I, when they're putting I'm just talking purely about wings. in general I wings I don't I don't want a buffalo chicken wings. pizza I've never had one that tasted right. good yeah I, I've I've had them that tasted good but it's very few and far between like most places don't do them right. What's well, like one of my favorite subs is a buffalo chicken sub. Yeah. And I don't think I've had one. The last great one I had was over 20 years ago. So <laughs> at this point in my life I only like my own cooking. Like cook it that like restaurant food has gotten so terrible that I pretty much only like my own cooking. I get that, especially when it comes to steak. I can make a steak better than any. I, of course, I haven't gone to Ruth's Chris or anything like that, but I can make a steak better than any of these fools. See, I've been to Ruth's Chris. It's gone downhill. It, this, these places used to be good. They're not good anymore. I wonder if it's like, that they, they're not good anymore. We just got so much better. At it. Well, see, you guys have an interesting way of looking at this. See, I just don't like food. 
I, 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 I find the foods that I'm willing to eat smaller and smaller. Uh, I, I've actually signed up for one of those like box meal things. Like, drop me off a, a box of my meals for the week, and I'm gonna eat them. And because number one, I need to I need to get the weight under control, and number two, I realized that I just feel super weird about food. Um, I, I don't I'm know what I like. I don't, I don't know what I like anymore. So literally, I just want to eat. Starburst jelly beans and pizza. I feel That's you it. because it's 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 crazy because in the last several years I've just been like extremely uninspired by food. Yeah, like I don't I don't even care that much about. What am it. I hearing right now? But unless it's steak, I <laughs> well, will. I, don't, I, I will. Did I'll you see those t bones that I prepared last Wednesday? Did you I, see them? I, I, I saw them, but you, you did. Do you salt them while they're? Getting to temperature? No. See, she salt said steak, and I don't like steak, so. S salt them when they're getting to room temperature because it'll soak all through the whole thing. Game changer. So, you, make a, you make a shrimp scampi I, instead? So, no, you hold on, hold on. I thought you were I thought you were saying salt them, like, while they're cooking. Oh, I no, salt no, no. them while they're sitting there while Good. this meat is coming up to room temperature. So, Good. yes, that's, that's I do do that. Do that's, That's the, the way proper way to season Most a steak. Most people don't know how to do it, and it and it, it it's frustrating. Oh my god! Have you, well, you guys watch? Do you guys watch Letterkenny at all? Mm -mm. Yes. There's a great bit about steaks, which is literally the all all four of them bitching about how you properly prepare a steak. No one guys, you better salt nothing but salt and pepper for me. Well, those, those good not, farmers up in Alberta would be would would wouldn't even bother sending these steaks here if they knew you're going to be know. fucking them up with salt and pepper. This is not a postmodernism thing. Mm -hmm. There is a proper way to do a steak, and if you do it <laughs> wrong, you deserve to die. Okay, well, just I, for the record, I'm going to burn the shit out of it, and that's the only way I'm going to be able to choke it down. We're at war. You and I, we're at war now. <laughs> I I, I actually. Generations of our families will fight to the death over my, this. I hope you my, understand. My, Hatfield and McCoy. My good buddy Gonzo, um, he uh, he invited me and some people over a couple of weeks ago. Uh, and you guys, do you guys know uh, what's his name there? Uh, Quincy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It, well, me me and Quincy went and party with my my buddy Gonzo a couple of weeks ago up here. Nice. Was a fun night. Fun night. Good, good I love Quincy. He's um, the best. He loves so, fat girls. I love she him. Does. She <laughs> does. So we're we're up there and, and and Gonzo's making steaks, and I didn't have the heart to tell him, like, I really don't like meat a whole bunch. Like it's not really my thing. But he he made these gigantic steaks, and I did my best. Like I he cooked it like literally rare. <laughs> So and listen, like, I give me the knife, bro. I'll, I'll, I'll be like, I'm not gonna tell someone who's cooking me steak. Like, nah, fuck you, bro. I'm, I'm too good for this shit. But it's like, I really don't like steak. But if you don't like steak, I eat it. No, not at all. That's so hard to hear. I don't, I don't like, like meat in general. I see. I don't like meat in general. But if it's a well done steak, and I don't mean well done by temperature. I mean a properly prepared steak is With next ketchup. to. Okay, now I'm at war with Cam. <laughs> I'm just messing with you. I, I will battle all of you. No, no, just you, you have to go. You have to go and watch this letter, Kenny bit. It's just like a minute and a half long. But the one guy, Squirrely Dan's on there. He's like, yeah, it's like, he's like, honestly, you guys, you guys are fucking it all up by ever blending a touch of grill. Sear it on both sides. Put it in the oven. 
it's gonna be drier than far otherwise. I maybe maybe I should say a nice uh, herbs and garlic, uh, you know, mix over top of it. You're fucking up, school zone. Yeah, me and Gordon Rams, you're both fucking idiots. <laughs> you reverse sear with butter. I just, I hate you all. Reverse um, sear. With you butter. need to get a sous vide. Mm-hmm. I know they're really expensive though. They no, they're well, not. They're, they're not. They're, I mean, I, I, I well, mine, mine, mine was more. given to me, but they're not. They're not that expensive anymore. I have a little mini one. I think it was maybe eighty dollars, mm-hmm. which right now bad. for me is expensive. But you know, that's neither here nor there. Considering what? the amount of money I just spent on a canning pot, uh, that sounds like oh, just a joy they're... to spend. I will. I will send you the one I have, Jessica. I will, and I'm not going to buy you one. I'll send you a link. Hmm? Okay. I was I like, don't send um, me a Suzy. I'll feel bad. Like I have to get um, you something nice. I mean, you should get me nice things. I'm a very lovely boy. Um, but let's that's go to not how gift. Qu- that's not how gifting works. You accept the gift and you just enjoy that. Yeah. And just enjoy it. Same. I mean, I know I that, know. You're, I know that psychologically, you're, psychologically, you're not set up to do that. Like you're actually set up to give gift for gift. But you you can be above that. You don't have to give in to the animal inside you. <laughs> there's there's a thing. There's a, there's a um, gender dynamic here, too. As a lady, I just... I can't accept gifts without like being reciprocal, or I feel like something's expected of me. Oh, I so, I'm gonna be honest. That sounds like everyone who sends me. I was gonna say that sounds like you ain't much of a lady. But you just walk around but, sucking dicks. Every guy comes no, on. Like, oh, no, no, that's the point. I is I don't like walk I... around sucking dicks because I am reciprocal <laughs> with gift giving. I, if you give me a gift, I'm gonna give you a gift back. I mean, because that's the I don't gift want I you wanted. I'm just saying. To believe exactly, exactly <laughs> the point. Exactly the point. Yeah. So let me ask you before we we tie this on a bow and let you go to sleep. Um, what right now gives you hope? What gives you what motivates you to carry on? Um, could be could be your your beautiful daughter, your beautiful wife. Could be anything. But like, is there anything that would be helpful to the sad people out there? Well, I've done this a couple other places, and they don't take it for much of a white pill, but. Um, Go and read the book Man's Search for Meaning. And at the end of the day, think about this. We got used to the Patriot Act. My kid will get used to whatever the COVID Act is going to be. And uh, human beings are incredibly resilient. So even if we do get shipped into concentration camps, we'll find a way to find meaning in life and kind of make the best of it. Sucks. <laughs> well, no, it sucks that you're psychologically amazing and can like make the worst circumstances tolerable. No, no, I'm just um, I, Thank- I I agree with your ma- major point. That's what that whole movie Life Is Beautiful was about. About oh, how there? they sent that these people to the concentration camp, and the guy was able to make his son believe that it was a a fun game the entire time that he was there. And so he made his son believe that the prize that he would get if he won the game was a tank. And at the very end of the movie, you see the American tanks rolling down the street coming to free them. And this little boy is over the moon shouting, I won, I won, you know, and as these tanks roll toward him. What, so, what about the, what about the boy in the striped pajamas? That movie didn't end quite the same. No, no, it didn't. No, it sure didn't. Um, but I, I, I get your general point. I agree with your general point. But the idea that we'll all be shipped <laughs> off to concentration camps sucks. 
Well, we're not sucks. in Australia, so we're okay. For no, now. for now. For a few yeah. more weeks. <laughs> for a few more weeks, yeah. Though uh, so you got those people, um, they just burnt down a COVID testing center. So, you know, things are getting pretty dude, groovy over there. I talk to Australians regularly at this point in my life. And it is a white pill for me to hear them, the ones who would be, who would have considered themselves progressive or liberal in American terms or moderate are all talking about how done they are with all of this, how, how they're going to, they, they're just going to stop. They're not going to do these things. They may be all talk for some of these people, but it's still good to hear. Well, Cam, both me and Jessica were progressives at one point in time. It's true. Well, you wake up bill. and I'm hoping that that's what this is, but is there anything else you'd like to share with the old audience before we go? I'll, I'll let them know where to find you in just a sec. Well, if you, I was going to say, if you wanted to see my wife just dunk on me constantly and be smarter than me, come over to Misfit Family, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on uh, YouTube or uh, Facebook, and we're talking about books and stuff because we, we're nerds like that. Awesome. Liz and all of, the stuff, all of the stuff that you do is um, at Nick, you can link to it through nickbacone.com, correct? Yep. The awesome. uh, this this coming Sunday, and you guys will appreciate this. We're going over the book, The Act of Marriage, oh. which okay. was a sex positive uh, marriage book written by the dude who went on to write the Left Behind books. So was it Tim LaHaye or Jerry B. <laughs> Jenkins? Tim LaHaye. Tim LaHaye, dude. So, wow, all of those by the way, my, <laughs> me and my wife were talking. We, we, the whole idea is to go over like self help books and like family books and Are books you about read the joy of sex. And we, she, she didn't, she didn't bring up who wrote this book. I don't even honestly think she know, knew who wrote this book. But like, I'm re listening to this. Man, this thing is just wild. Like, I can't believe this book even exists. And I look up who wrote. It, I'm like, oh, there Can we I go. Can I make a suggestion <laughs> for your book list? You can. I've got the next three seasons all planned out, but we'll see how it goes. Maybe move something. So there's a book by a guy named Jack Douglas, and it's called The Jewish Japanese Sex and Cookbook and How to Raise Wolves. I'm going to read that just for the hell of reading that. Please send me <laughs> a link so I can remember a it. Phenomenal title. I forgot everything that was in that already. It's so wild. The Jewish <laughs> Japanese Sex and Cookbook and How to Raise Wolves. Sounds so. like a fun family. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds like a misfit family. <laughs> and it is it is listed as a self-help book. So um, I haven't read it yet, but I want to. Well, go, go read. I, I, I'm just guessing. I wonder if it's anything like Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance, which has nothing to do with either Zen or motorcycle maintenance. <laughs> right, right, yeah. <laughs> I remember so, reading that like, what is this book? Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I that that book had me going crazy for a couple of weeks. Honestly, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. really, like some of some of the themes in it, like really, really had me upset. I'll just say, hmm. I'll have to read it then. Mm -hmm. I'll probably it's love a, it. It's that's yeah. That's about a philosopher thinking about philosophy. Oh no. I'll hate that. <laughs> it, 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 it's very yeah. very real world in perspective, like. It's like a let legit, us, yeah. I'd be interested in what you'd actually think about that. Let us never do a philosophy episode again. I, <laughs> I don't understand them. 
<laughs> uh, you know what you should do is that you're getting everybody together for like a, a end of the horror thing show, right? Like we have mm-hmm. to we have to get together and talk Plan. with anyone else. Who, do we get like trophies for if we actually stick it out? So if you do it, if you do all of it, which it seems like you might, because you're you're coming pretty close. Um, I'm gonna be honest. Have- I'm I plan on doing it all so I don't ever have to do it again. Because um, I will not lie, there is definitely an emotional toll to doing it. Yes, this is what I've tried to tell people. It's not easy. You think, oh, I can watch a movie at night for 100 days. Of course I can do that. Eh, you think that. But it, when it's horror movies, there's a different element to it. So I'm well, glad to see that acknowledged. And and there's I, I've approached this differently because I'm the first. Like I, I immediately threw out the list and said, nah, it's not for me. I've seen all that shit before. It's fine. So, mm-hmm. so I started my own list which i've been sharing in the group of all of the movies i watched that are none of the movies you guys have watched yet i'm surprised how far i've gotten without Mm -hmm. coming across anything i i was really interested in that one possum that you guys posted so i might actually break and have to watch one or two that you guys have on your list but I'm really pleased that Ryan liked uh, Perfect Host so much because he's very critical. So I'm I really he liked um, Tucker and Dale versus Evil so much. Really? Okay, that's a, that's actually no, a that's fun movie. that's no, that's casting. There is nothing funnier than Tyler Labine and fucking what's his name there? Wash. Alan Tudyk. Yeah, he's washed to me, but <laughs> yeah, always gonna be Wash. Um, those two are just fucking gems together. Um, but I was very, I'm very disappointed at anyone who will talk shit on fucking Mandy, which is perhaps the greatest movie ever made. (laughs) How does Nicolas Cage as a lumberjack avenging his dead girlfriend against a cult leader with demon bikers hopped up on super acid, not sound like the greatest movie ever made. <laughs> it's real hit or miss with Nicolas like, Cage. With like me. that sentence alone makes that I movie watched great. it today. Super, but honestly, as far as movies go, Beyond the Black Rainbow is probably a more interesting movie, but it, it, it's not as much fun. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, he also didn't like The Color Out of Space either, Ryan didn't. And I was disappointed. No. I didn't. I, I thought that movie was disappointing too. I didn't. I, that movie was perhaps the best adaptation of a Lovecraft story ever because they're impossible See, to adapt into film. You and Gwen would agree on that score. Gwen is the uh, other sort of like founder of the challenge. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you've noticed her kind of like making commentary here and there about movies, but um, she had the same take on Color Out of Space is that it's, it's very hard to adapt Lovecraft movies. And that was a well done one. Part of the whole idea of Lovecraft is he he creates a disembodied horror that you can't. Everything in it is designed to be indescribable, so as to make your brain imagine something that's not possible. Everything is Mm -hmm. is contradictions and contortions of reality, and like bending it back in on itself. And I've never seen anything come close to like really pulling it off in a a film sense because film is such a visual medium and you got to kind of you've got to make the film lie to you like Mm. i also respect anyone they'll pull out some serious cronenberg shit like the Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. with the the mom and the boy is the most one of the most awful things i've ever seen in a film 
period. Yeah. Like, yeah. that shit's hard to watch on, like, a lot of levels. <laughs> All of them. Um, but beyond that, like, just it's such an interesting fucking movie. Like, so wild. Yeah, yeah I, um, the most difficult one for me, I think, on the list would be the uh, Von Trier movie, Antichrist. So here's you guys have built this up. Like, I don't know that I can watch it. It's I I I, I, I cannot it. oversell that fact that I'm warning you. Like well, I I cannot oversell that fact. <laughs> like you've been warned. If you choose to watch that movie, that's on you. Well, I put it this way: I'm going to end up having to buy the movie to make that thing. Because because you're never ever going to want to play it again once I'm, you see it. Well, no, that's so that's the thing. Like, there's so many different ways this can go. It's either I'm going to get it and I'm going to be like, oh, really, this is what that big deal was about. Or I'm going to watch it and be like, that was, was pretty awful. Or there's always the, man, I feel like I'm an awful human being for enjoying that as much as I did. Well, my husband was infuriated. Someone showed us that movie and he was infuriated at that person and didn't talk to him for months because of it. Like, he was upset by what he saw in that film. So I don't know. I mean, like, I don't know what your level is either. For me, it was like, Pretty shocking. I was really grossed out. You've, you've you've watched the faces of death, right? Like the meth thing. Oh um, God, God, faces of death yeah. was a, a a videotape that showed real and fake deaths. The real test is was Rotten dot com back in the day. Yeah, yeah, I've seen they... stuff. I've seen stuff on that. Yeah, I mean it's it's bad, but you know, like. Oh boy, you don't you don't realize the fragility of the human experience until you see a man ripped apart by a helicopter. Oh god. Uh how about have you ever seen the ever seen where the guy uses a uh, impact driver and drives a nut onto his finger and it peels like a banana? Nope. God, nope. why? Mm. Why? Well that was uh -uh. actually that was actually at work telling you why not to fuck around with your tools, to be completely yeah. honest. It's a good lesson to so learn. You ever see that show, uh, How It's Made? They would have these like industrial machines where little things were going through and little chops and all this kind of thing. Every machine they showed me, I would imagine what would happen to a human body that got tossed into it. So there's like nice. some part of my brain that is like, what would happen to an arm? You know, like if it, if it ended up in this machine. Like, see, I'm trying to imagine, I'm trying to imagine this movie. It's the thing like, my my brain is now hyping this thing up in like such a weird way that it's like I don't know I might I'm probably just gonna be let down by like how insane you, my mind is making it out to be. You might be. You I and mean it, you might be. I don't and know. There, there is a thing where like because I don't carry all of the the Christian baggage around with me that, that could affect me, my thoughts on it. I am, or totally I would, not, and I scare the shit out of myself for no fucking reason. There's a there, there are psychological elements to that movie and why it's so difficult to watch. So that might be true. And I think that's what makes Asian horror so um, interesting because it, a lot of it is not informed by Christianity. Christianity is such a part of the Western culture that a lot of it makes its way into our horror movies, whether we realize it or not. Oh, no, absolutely. And movies that come out of Asia don't have that element to them, well, which makes them very innovative. 
we have to also separate different places in Asia because one of the adventures that I've been on in my 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 year in going through horror is watching a lot of foreign films mm-hmm. because you know those are the ones I haven't seen so far and Netflix has a lot of them and China as a whole makes fucking terrible terrible horror movies mm. they're all literally the same movie they have only like they have the weirdest take on ghosts imaginable yeah. <laughs> and none of it's really scary like it's they just it's kind of like a shitty facsimile of the ring over and over again yeah so i'm thinking of most of the asian horror movies i've seen have come from korea namely South those korea. are very different okay. those are very different because they're like culturally they're very different than we are um, they don't honestly, have that judeo-christian sort of like ethic uh being played upon there's been some honestly some of the more interesting ones i've watched have been like some of the it looks like they come from eastern europe okay serbian film Uh, not i've watched some serbian films those are also interesting in different ways no no, i'm talking about the movie a serbian film i've never heard of it well it's it's one that i haven't seen and i won't watch because they the stuff that they put into that movie is so horrifying that there's not a chance I would ever look it up. So and, and this is why what shades this Antichrist movie. Have you ever watched uh, the Masters of Horror series? Um so. in particular there's an episode by Oh god. Yeah, Jessica. What? She just read it. <laughs> I just yeah, I just read it like just read what's in a Serbian film. Yeah, it's. I'm gonna, it's, look, I'm gonna, look it up. I'm gonna skip that one. <laughs> I think I'm um, gonna skip it. Well, so in the there's an uh, one of the Masters of Horror was a series on like Cinemax, I think, and they did like one hour horror movies done by people. Um, what's his name? Who did? Uh, it's killing me. Camera is. It's you got like? the one dude from Walking Dead who did. Uh, he plays the cool guy that everybody likes. Um, oh, Norman he, Reedus. Yes, Norman Reedus is like the main character in it, and he plays a guy who's like girlfriend that he was like they're junkies together, and like their obsession was film. And he's look spending the movie looking for this. Someone hires him to find a thing called La Fin de Monde, which is the uh, last last moment on earth whatever and the premise behind this the fictional movie that they're looking for in the story is that it's only ever played once and the the place that was filmed burned down most of the people died because of how awful the movie was and like you could like when you get to the end of it like you find out why the movie like had such a potent evil in it and it was uh the director it was literally just the filming of uh, an angel's wings being cut off. Hmm. And so like that, that act imbued like any copy of this, like that existed to just have basically you, 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 you watch it kill yourself in the most gruesome of ways because you couldn't live having seen that. Like the idea of disfiguring an angel being so horrifying an act that you couldn't That's go silly. on. Right, and Quest just brought up, oh, like Dogma, and I'm like, yeah, in Dogma, like we saw that, like. No, was- but this is so. First, like it, it's all about tone. Like this is genuinely. Oh, it's John Carpenter. That's it. John Carpenter directed it. Okay. Um, 
but it's not it's not what I, it's not the idea of the angel it's the idea of going after like this movie or this film that the act itself would imbue any copy of it with power like this because of how gruesome the act would be i mean the the angel in the story is i mean it's it's not done it's not done in a campy fun sort of way like it's this is a a very otherworldly creature it's not meant to look human hardly at all Mm-hmm. And it's a pretty gruesome thing, like and and you don't ever really see until the very very end, like what the hell is going on. It's just you just see cigarette burns, like periodically throughout it. And when people are losing their mind, the closer he gets to finding it, the more insane shit gets. And I think ultimately he ends up killing us, <laughs> killing himself at the end of it. But it's, it's and then this is there's the, the, the that that that's what I come back to every time I think about watching Antichrist is that like <laughs> basically I'm putting myself in the position of that character <laughs> when I think about so, it, just yeah. chasing after something that's so awful. With with Antichrist, the one thing that I will give it toward the positive is that photographically, it's one of the most beautiful movies i've ever seen to be honest like it's actually very beautifully shot and i think because it's so well done that when the elements of it that are frightening happen you're really there they really like take you there um so i mean i don't know i i still think you should see it at this point now i'm just like i want to know what you think and and what's because I actually read some reviews and stuff on like when it came out at Cannes and like what people had to say about it. I've mm-hmm, looked at the mm-hmm. score on Rotten Tomatoes and it's kind of in a place like I don't know how is this going to go. Like anything that's like has like a sixty three percent rating means enough people have like reviewed it to like have opinions on it. I'm like, well, I mean, yeah, I've I've watched some pretty pretty hard dark shit in my day. <laughs> Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, I, I mean, if if you've watched a lot of h- hardcore dark stuff, it's probably not gonna like hit you like that. I mean, you see so, that little guy behind me, right? I, I mean, I don't know. I have bad oh, vision. It, uh, it's uh, <laughs> it's an 18 inch model of Pinhead from oh, Hellraiser. Yeah, right, right, right. I don't know. I mean, just you know, if it, if it ends up really upsetting you, just don't be mad at me. That's all. <laughs> oh no! I'll totally be extra mad at you. Okay, cool, good. For, I'm glad for we're allowing great. for allowing a woman to have that kind of control over my emotions. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right. So uh, beyond the uh, we that that was out after we said something about your show. Beyond that, if you want to see Nick tweet never, follow him at Nikki Pinecone on Twitter. Yeah, if you do cool stuff, I'll follow you and be like, oh, <laughs> what an asshole. Because that's generally what I think of everybody on Twitter. <laughs> that's what genuinely everyone's doing on Twitter is just mm-hmm. being an asshole. So that's what I'm I don't doing. know that I feel bad about it. I feel like I'm giving people exactly what they want by going, God, you asshole. <laughs> so, so I'm not there that, to be a good person. I am. I'm there to be a good person who says terrible things to terrible people. I, I mean, just <laughs> just can't help being who I am, folks. <laughs> so with that, let's draw this to a close. Is there anything else you want to share with the audience before I uh, let you go and we rattle off our bullshit? No, I'm good, boss. All right. Thank you for coming back on and, and talking oh. about all sorts of things. <laughs> Rest well and dream of large women.
We can do that. <laughs> Maybe <All right>. dubs. <laughs> all right. And so with that, to all who stayed in the live feed this long, thank you. That's that's a that was a marathon, and I'm proud of you. Um, but beyond that, uh, if you we have a couple things. One uh, next week, my mom's going to be on the show, and it's going to be a timely episode about abortion. Should be tons of fun. Uh, following that, we have Monica and Brad from the Propaganda Report coming on, back on together right after September 11th. Who knows what we'll talk about. Should be fun. After that, we're going to do a Jim Jones episode with the odd man from the odd cast. And finally, uh, your favorite British person who's ever been the only British person who's ever been on this show. Kate Cheryl is going to be coming back to talk to us about uh, what, what, what was it again? Not supernaturalism. What's the what's the term? Spiritualism. Back in the uh, the gothic Ooh, the nineteen hundred stuff. Mm -hmm. Ooh, I grew up near Lilydale. Yeah, it should yeah. be it should be pretty cool. But beyond that, uh, if you would like to support us, I wish you would. It would be great if you did. We do have a Patreon, patreon.com slash the mad ones. Uh, we have a couple of great sponsors. One, Run Your Mouth Coffee. Their bourbon barrel coffee is so good. You should try it. If you go to their website, rymcoffee.com, and use promo code the mad ones, you get 10% off there. Also, if you like dried meats, there's righteousfelon.com. Uh, similar promo code, not the same, just mad ones on that one. And you could get some really badass, super hot um, beef jerky if that's what you're into. Um, beyond that, check us out. Uh, check out our, our archives on rockfin.com slash the mad ones. Uh, I'm on Twitter at Cam Harless. Uh, Jessica's on Twitter at Soup Canarchist. Uh, if you want a t shirt, we're the mad ones.com slash store. If you erase the store part, you can listen directly to our show there or on any podcatcher that you like. We're also on YouTube. If you're here, you know that, slash the mad ones. Uh, and then on, we're also on Odyssey as well. But beyond that, that's all I have for you. Uh, anything you want to share with the, the good people, Miss Jessica? Oh, no, I'm out. I have nothing. Awesome. And with, and with that, uh, go do something good this week. Be nice to someone. I don't know.